As I was preparing for today's homily, I noticed something that I had really never noticed before in the account of our Lord's temptation in the desert. And that all three of these separate temptations actually share something in common. Now, we can look at the individual temptation and kind of derive some deeper message from it, but what it shares in common, or what they share in common, is something much simpler. They all share the word, if. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you will bow down and worship me. What is the significance of this word, if? I think, the argument that I'm going to make is that it has a real significance, not only in this text, but more importantly, in our own lives. We hear so often that the devil is the father of lies. He tells us lies about who God is and about who we are. But even more so, this word, if, shows that he is the father of doubt. Every little if leaves a question mark leaves us wondering if we understand things correctly, if God is really there, if we are worthy of following him. But Satan is the father of doubt. And it's the first reading that really makes this clear. The first reading, which comes from the second creation account in the book of Genesis, the serpent, serpent is speaking to Eve. And what does he say? The very first thing. Did God really tell you not to eat from any tree in the garden? What is he doing? He is casting doubt in the mind of Eve, making her question her reality, question God and question God's own motives. And so we normally think of doubt. We think of doubts about the faith. But the truth is, more often, the doubts, the ifs, the evil one will plant into our minds and our hearts are much more subtle. He can plant them directly. He can also use other people to plant them in our minds and hearts. But he also can, or we at least can, plant those ifs ourselves. And so my experience in working with people, I see a few areas where these ifs are very prevalent, where the doubts really manifest themselves. And the first comes in God's goodness, or specifically in his will for us, that he wills the good for us in our lives and in our futures. So often we, we can hear this temptation. If God really wanted what was good for you, why did he let this terrible thing happen? Why did he let you get cancer? Why didn't he let you get that job? If... God wanted you to be happy, he'd tell you exactly what he wants you to do for a career. He'd make sure that you never had a bad day. And so these ifs are planted into our minds and we begin questioning, does God really want what's good for us? Specifically, when we look at a potential vocation for the future, we doubt that we're going to find happiness. We doubt that he's going to really provide what we need. And so... That if casts doubt about his goodness and his will for us in our lives, that he has it all under control. We can also doubt God's mercy, his ability to and his willing to forgive us. 
The temptation of, if you did that, there's no way he can forgive you. If, after doing that, you go into the church, that he is going to strike you down. Particularly, I see this happening with sins of the flesh. We commit the sins of the flesh with ourselves or with others, and then the shame heaps on. Just like Eve and Adam, after they committed that sin, they hid from God's vision. And so, hiding from God's vision is ultimately doubt in his ability or willingness to forgive us. And so people I see who are crippled by that will often avoid mass, avoid confession, avoid going to prayer. And as a result, it kills their willingness and ability to live in the confidence of their identity as redeemed sons and daughters of God. And then third and finally, and probably the most important, those doubts are cast in our minds and our hearts about God's love and his willingness to show us his love. And so often these ifs manifest themselves in conditional phrases. If you would only pray more, then maybe God would love you. If you were more righteous and you studied more, then maybe God would shower you with more of his love and his grace. Or even if you reach out to that person and ask him for help, then he, you, he is going to think that you are a burden or a bother or a pain. All of these cast doubt in God's ability or willingness to lo love us, but also our own being lovable. And this temptation to think that we have to earn his love, that the conditions set apart, that the more we do, the more he will love us. Or if we do reach out to him or to others, that somehow we are a burden, not a son that he loves, but a bother, a servant who is there aggravating his or her master. So, God's goodness, God's mercy, and God's love, all casting doubt about him, but more importantly, in a certain sense, about us, about our own relationship to him and our identity as sons and daughters, the worth that we have. And so if we let that doubt seep in, when we start entertaining those ifs and start questioning, then what happens? Inevitably, we lose our peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, the anxiety sets in, the questioning sets in. So how do we do it? How do we combat these doubts, the ifs that can be planted into our lives? Well, the gospel gives us a very clear way of doing it. When the devil is there planning those ifs with Jesus, what is our Lord's response? He doesn't get into a long dialogue. He doesn't sit there in the desert for 40 days and ruminate about it and let that, that the disturbance of peace grow in his life. He says, get away. He shuts the devil out. He is not willing to listen to the temptations and willing to the lies. We've got to be willing to do that same thing, to be able to not ruminate, to be able to not sit and entertain it in our brains, but to shut the devil out. 
whether it could be our own sort of self, subconscious telling us these lies, whether it's something directly from the devil, or whether it comes from other people around us, planting those ifs in our lives and creating doubt and anxiety. In the course of the past several weeks, I've been meditating on a certain reality that so often we hear from people that women have a lot to teach men about loving, about being compassionate, about being nurturing. But yet we never hear about what men can teach women. And this is a part of it right here. Exactly what the devil received from Jesus. Jesus tuned him out. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't need all that garbage. You can run your mouth all you want. I don't care what you think. I don't care that you're gossiping about me. I'm not going to listen to it. Ladies and men are good at doing this. If you don't realize it, get married and you really will realize it. We're good for whatever reason of tuning garbage out and not listening to it. And as a result, maybe men live in space more often than women do, but at least we can have a little bit more peace and these doubts don't bother us as much. Men, we need to do it too, but still, it's that ability to say to the lies, to the ifs, to the doubts, wherever they're coming from, get away, not listening to it, and instead the positive response of Jesus, I don't doubt, but instead I trust in you. Amen.